0: hello and welcome to mayo clinic talks the opioid edition i'm tracy mccray and this is the second of an eight episode series on the opioid crisis brought to you by mayo clinic with me today is dr helena gazelka an anesthesiologist boarded in pain and palliative medicine at mayo clinic in rochester it's good to see you once again dr gazelka
1: thank you tracy you as well
0: Uh, Previously, we kind of did a brief overview of the opioid crisis and how they are used. Now we're going to talk about some of the different guidelines for determining uh, when opioids are used. Let's talk about treating chronic pain with acute pain. What is the difference between the two and how are they how is it used?
1: Absolutely. When you discuss guidelines for pain management with opioids, there's a vast difference between treating acute pain and treating chronic pain. We consider acute pain typically to be pain that's associated with a trauma. I'm thinking of fractures, motor vehicle accidents where bones are broken or there's specific uh, muscle contusions or specific injuries. Also, surgical procedures. There are minor surgical procedures and major surgical procedures, and some of them require opioids. We know that the evidence for treating all acute pain with opioids is very weak, uh, but there is evidence for treating more major acute pain with opioids. These are truly the best painkillers that we have, and they are indicated for major trauma or surgery.
0: And how has using opioids for acute pain, how has that changed in the last few years. It seems to me as the layperson that it has changed quite a bit.
1: Yes I think that people are now becoming more conservative with their prescribing for acute pain but I think that recently with all the um, evidence in the in the uh, medical literature and all of the news attention that has come to the opioid epidemic that uh, providers have changed the way that they prescribe for acute pain. I think we used to be pretty generous after someone had an injury, came into the emergency room, came in to see their primary care provider, had a surgery. They'd get maybe a month's worth of opioids. We now know that those opioids are the opioids that eventually make their way into the street and make their way to other uh, members of the population for misuse or diversion. So we're trying to be conservative with acute prescribing of opioids to three days or less for minor surgeries or minor trauma or up to seven days for a large surgery or trauma. And chronic pain we consider to be a pain that's ongoing for more than 90 days. Typically, um, these, are, these are pain syndromes that patients have for very prolonged periods of time and sometimes even for life.
0: So using opioids for chronic pain is a last resort or the first step? Well, using opioids for chronic pain should
1: nearly be the last resort after more um, conservative therapies have been exhausted and after the um, more conservative medications have been trialed as well. Alternatives to opioids for pain management include physical therapy, medications from other classes, physical modalities such as Tai Chi, yoga, and conditioning and strengthening programs. Medications such as neuroleptics and antidepressants can be very helpful. Other modalities would include cognitive behavioral techniques, including biofeedback, and interventional procedures, some directed at nerves and others into joint spaces, musculature, or the epidural space. Neuromodulation is the alteration of neurotransmitters in the central or peripheral nervous system to reduce pain, and it's typically accomplished by an implanted device. An example would be spinal cord stimulation, in which pain signals are modulated using electrical energy. This is typically accomplished via electrodes implanted in the epidural space that are attached to a battery pack, or it's also called a pulse generator, which is implanted under the patient's skin. Another example of neuromodulation is peripheral nerve stimulation. In which a specific nerve is targeted and directly influenced by an electrical signal to reduce pain. Lastly, intrathecal drug delivery systems, or intrathecal pumps, consist of a catheter that is directly placed into the cerebrospinal fluid and attached to a pump, which is typically placed in the abdominal wall. The pump can then be filled with medications to modulate pain, such as opioids, local anesthetics, and neuropathic agents. So there are many options available for chronic pain, and this field is uh, really growing at this time. Consulting a pain management specialist, if available, may be a great resource for your patients.
0: Are you finding that something that's going the other direction is happening, uh, that someone, for instance, gets their wisdom teeth out, and they're so afraid now of taking opioids because of what they've been hearing that they won't even touch that. It used to be, oh, yeah, I got these opioids and no big deal. And now people really hesitate to even take them because we're almost afraid of them.
1: And I think that's a good thing. I think that anyone in the population is at risk of becoming addicted to opioids. We know that the longer that the opioids are used, the more likely the addiction is to occur. And so I think if pain can be managed conservatively with non-steroidal medications such as uh ibuprofen and with acetaminophen or the combination of the two that that's what should be done and that it's healthy for patients to have somewhat of a fear of taking opioids. Now there are patients for whom these are completely appropriate and honestly I find that those patients are often some of the most concerned about the risk of addiction.
0: All right now let's talk about chronic pain. Uh, How long does someone have to have chronic pain before you go to that opioid prescription?
1: We consider chronic pain to be pain that persists for more than 45 to 90 days after a surgery or persists for more than 90 days uh, otherwise. In other words, patients suffer from this pain over and over for months at a time. I don't think there's a specific period of time that makes someone eligible for the use of opioids when they have chronic pain, but I do think that the persistence of the pain is important to uh, consider.
0: And let's talk about dosing. How do you determine... When someone, well, they've got chronic pain, and we're trying to figure out a way around that. How do you figure out the dosing for that person?
1: Well, just like for acute pain, we should start with the lowest dose possible. So these should always be considered to be being used on a trial basis. In other words, we don't look at a patient and say, I think you're a patient that I'll put on chronic opioids. Usually it happens gradually. They're given one prescription, then they're given another prescription. They have relief from their pain. They have an improvement in their functional status. They have a true diagnosis that might warrant the use of opioids. And so they come to be chronic opioid users. I do think it's very important to start with the lowest dose that we can, to start low and to go slow. The second thing to remember is that only short acting opioids should be used for acute pain and only short acting opioids should be used in chronic pain for patients who are opioid naive.
0: You mentioned to start low and go slow. That sounds like it should be on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Probably should be.
0: Let's, ex- let's expand on that a little bit. What exactly does start low and go slow mean?
1: It means that we prescribe the lowest dose that will work for the patient's pain with the fewest number of pills that are needed for the pain. Also, we start with the mildest form of opioid therapy that is available before progressing to um, the, what we would call the bigger guns. Also, we will only use short-acting opioids instead of using long-acting opioids when we're starting patients out on this therapy. It's also very important to keep in mind that we want to avoid dose escalation. So we know that ever-increasing the dose increases the risk of side effects for patients, and it also leads to the development of tolerance and hyperalgesia.
0: Ooh, tolerance to an opioid would be something tricky to manage. What do you mean? What do you mean by tolerance?
1: Tolerance refers to the body's natural reaction to medications being taken regularly, particularly opioids. It means that when patients take these medications regularly, they're going to need higher doses eventually to obtain the same pain relief that they were receiving with a lower dose in the beginning of their therapy.
0: Does that mean that then they are addicted? Is that if your tolerance is increasing, then you are becoming addicted to that? Or are those not associated at all? It does not. Uh,
1: Tolerance is a normal physiologic uh, reaction of the body to the presence of opioids. Addiction means that patients will crave seek and use opioids even in the face of a significant uh, detriment to their uh, personal life to their work life and to their uh, physical self.
0: Used an, another term in there that I want to get a little clarification on what is hyperalgesia?
1: Well, hyperalgesia is a really interesting concept. It's been known uh, regarding opioids for many, many years. It means that patients who take opioids chronically may develop worse pain with painful stimuli than patients who don't take opioids. In other words, things that were only mildly painful or maybe not painful become very painful to patients who chronically take opioids. The exact time for when this phenomenon develops is unknown, but studies have shown this this may occur in as short of a time as having a surgery in an operating room, uh, for instance, if an infusion of opioids is used.
0: So wait a minute, this is a downward spiral that must accelerate kind of quickly if your tolerance is being developed and the use of the opioids creates more pain? Is that what you're saying? That is
1: what I'm saying. Oh my gosh. So this is these are really important concepts because I think that um, it's really important to remember that keeping opioid use to as needed for severe times of pain and avoiding consistent chronic dosing is the best prevention for both of these problems, tolerance and hyperalgesia.
0: Well, there's a lot for providers to consider then when it comes to uh, prescribing opioids for acute pain. If you don't want to have that downward spiral start... What should they consider when they start off using uh, or prescribing opioids for their patients?
1: There certainly is a lot to consider, Tracy, and I think that um, it's important that providers take this seriously. Um, I think these opioids are one of our most important uh, resources in treating pain, and we must be respectful of uh, both the dangers of opioid medications and of the benefits of them. For acute pain, only short-acting opioids should be used. And there should be a definite plan for when the patient will be taken off of the opioids. In other words, the plan is not to keep extending the use, but really just to cover the time of very acute pain that the patient is experiencing. Should the patient need more medication, another prescription should be written rather than prescribing a large prescription.
0: What's the benefit of doing that? What's the benefit of two prescriptions?
1: Yeah, so the benefit is that the uh, second prescription can be dated later, Ah. and that if the patient does not need it, they should be instructed to not fill that prescription and to destroy it. So in other words, you're not giving them perhaps a bottle of 100
0: oxycodone,
1: you're giving them 20 oxycodone with another prescription for more if it's truly needed at the end of the first prescription.
0: There is a CDC publication about the length of exposure, the risk that goes along with that. Can you tell us a little bit about that publication?
1: There is. In March of 2017, the CDC published a morbidity and mortality report on opioids. They looked at the insurance records of 1.3 million Americans who are using opioids, and they found that the longer that a patient uses an acute prescription of opioids, the more likely the risk that they will convert to a chronic user. A one-day opioid prescription carries a 6% risk of use at one year, but if the patient uses the prescription for up, to, for up to eight days, there's a 13.5% risk of using them for longer than a year. So you can see this is where the concept is derived that the patient should receive either a three-day prescription maximally or a seven-day prescription absolutely maximally. Additionally, if the patient is kept on the medi- on the opioid for one month, say after their surgery or after their injury, they have a 30% risk of continuing to use these medications a year later.
0: I've recently heard a statistic that if you are a smoker, and this maybe would be the one thing that would get you to quit, but that smokers can experience worse levels of pain than non-smokers. Is that, is that true?
1: That is true. It's a really interesting phenomenon, but smoking does seem to be related to pain, and this is a uh, focus of intense um, investigation at this time. Lots is being published on this topic we do know that smokers experience increased pain intensity and often worse decrements in their functional status than non-smokers do when they experience pain.
0: Is there any theories right now as to why that might be? How about mental health? How does mental health affect? I mean, when you are experiencing chronic pain, it definitely affects your emotional state. Um, How is that related? Or is it?
1: I often empathize with my patients and um, telling them that I understand that it's depressing to be in pain all of the time. So if patients genuinely have chronic pain and a, or a syndrome leading to that or a diagnosis that leads them to have chronic pain, it is depressing. And depression is certainly correlated with chronic pain in studies. Now, this might be a little bit of a chicken and an egg argument. Which came first? Did the untreated depression contribute to them having worse pain mm. and poorer functional status? Or... Does pain contribute to depression and worsen the depression? The same is probably true for anxiety and other psychiatric disorders as well. One thing that we do know is that these patients are at high risk if they are started on chronic opioid therapy. They're at much higher risk than other patients of opioid misuse and of uh, opioid addiction or of overdose on opioids than patients without psychiatric disorders.
0: I recall in the first podcast you said that before a patient should be giving a pres- given a prescription they should look at the are is there an addiction issue or other mental health issues and that's what you were talking about.
1: That's very true. If patients have untreated mental health disorders, those most certainly require treatment before considering chronic opioid therapy. Further, if patients have a history of polysubstance abuse or are at risk for poly substance abuse for substance abuse, um there should be tremendous care taken to treating them with opioids.
0: What about if a, if a person has addiction in their family, in their genetics, but they themselves have not had problems with addiction? Is that considered?
1: It is. It is a mm-hmm. risk for opioid therapy and for risk of uh, um, substance abuse. Um, probably there's a genetic link, probably some of it's environmental, but I do think it's worthy of discussion with the patients that you're concerned about their risk of addiction with opioids given their family history of polysubstance
0: abuse. What about alternative therapies, alternative tr- alternative treatments for chronic pain?
1: Um, there are many conservative and alternative treatments for pain. Opioids are not the answer to treating chronic pain. Opioids should be, frankly, a Quote unquote last resort for chronic pain. We should exhaust other modalities first. There are many modalities available from physical therapy techniques, exercise, yoga, massage, acupuncture, and various complementary medicine techniques have proven to be helpful for some patients. We do know that cognitive behavioral therapy is particularly important to patients, and there are many uh, pain rehabilitation programs or pain therapy programs where cognitive behavioral therapy is a considerable
0: component. Further
1: biofeedback and group therapy can be very useful for patients.
0: Uh, That beginning of that list you talked about there, exercise, yoga, massage, and acupuncture, that sounds like a day at the spa that some people (laughs) would think. It's interesting to have it be considered uh, a shift kind of in that and that this is actually how you can help control pain in addition to Be relaxing or enjoyable for some people.
1: Well, that's true, Tracy, but what I most commonly hear from patients with chronic pain is that they could not possibly engage in any of those activities because they simply hurt too much to do it. I think in those cases that just walking or engagement in a physical therapy program where the therapist can help construct an appropriate uh, progressive exercise program for the patient is very important. Sometimes, though, patients are going to need other modalities before they can engage in exercise. That's where interventional options may come into play or other medical options than opioids.
0: If you've got a prescription for opioids and you can talk with your doctor about, I'm taking one pill or I'm taking three pills or whatever per day, here's what's happening. How do you manage or how do you work with your doctor about I'm doing yoga now and this is happening or this is not working? How do you manage some of these alternative therapies?
1: Yeah, I think um, most um, physicians and providers will be uh, engaged with a patient in in trying to seek out um, alternative therapies for them. I think that functional status is very important to assess. Every time that we see a patient in follow-up with chronic pain, we should be seeing whether they're functioning better. If they're functioning better, That may be an indication to continue opioid therapy. It may be that those opioids are really helping them to function better. But it may also be an indication that it's time to wean, that the patient is doing better on their own and would do well with a lesser dose of opioids. I think that regardless how you approach it, that a comprehensive, multidisciplinary approach to pain management is really the key for patients. And it can be really difficult when resources are limited, and it may take some a real um, investigation on the part of the patients and the providers to be prepared to approach that.
0: We have been talking with Dr. Helena Gazelka on Mayo Clinic Talks. Dr. Gazelka is an anesthesiologist boarded in pain and palliative medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Thanks so much for your time today, Dr. Gazelka.
1: Thank you so much, Tracy. It's been a pleasure.
0: Remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with a friend. Healthcare professionals looking to claim CME credit for this podcast can go to ce.mayo.edu slash opioidpc and register. That's ce.mayo.edu slash opioidpc.